Hello and welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the AM Consumer and Retail Group. Today is January 28th, 2021. I am your host, Chris Walton, and I am joined, as always, by Tim Foyle Mary, Anne Mazinga, and the woman who loves to dive in his chocolate covered strawberries, Emma the Intern. How are you guys this morning? I mean, with an intro like that, how could we not be the happiest as possible? I mean, tinfoil Mary, I don't even know what that means. I'm super proud of, well, you ever hear of Typhoid Mary? Typhoid Mary is like the one who got like all the sailors sick, like back in the like turn of the century or whatever. I don't know what a turn of two centuries ago, but I don't actually know what the reference is to be honest. I was going to say, it's I, a that's a stretch there, Walton, watch yeah, it. My father-in-law says it all the time. It is a stretch and not meant to intend on that, not meant that way in any way, shape or form. But the reason I brought it up is I thought it was pretty funny is because it's, it highlights some of the stories that are in the news this week. So specifically around Godiva, which we're going to get to, because I know Emma's a huge fan of that. But the other thing that didn't even make our headlines, which I think we have to talk about, because I know you're freaked about it. Oh, yeah. You've got your tinfoil hat on because you're scared of it. Like you're you're in the movie Signs is Amazon is rumored to be coming to Minneapolis. Like, are you pretty? St- I'm stoked. Are you guys stoked about that? Uh, Chris, I think that the comparing this to the movie Signs is exactly how I was going to do it. I feel like this week oh, for me really? was like, I was going to say Back to the Future. Like, I feel like I am basically what? have like Marty McFly on a hoverboard in front of me. Like this stuff is happening. And that's I got bad? Into, well, it's just kind of a revelation. I think the Amazon announcements... This I week, that's your, your litmus test for the future is Marty McFly on a hoverboard. But anyway, uh, I, I mean, it's just it makes me happy. OK, but here's the deal, you guys. I'm kind of freaking out about Amazon. One, because the Minneapolis announcements, like as I dug into them, I mean, I've been I've been seriously tinfoil hatting. Like I listened to develop meeting development meeting recordings from like last fall for the cities that they're proposing going into because they are, there is like no rules. Okay. It doesn't matter what the demographic data is. They're not going for like early adopters. There's two proposed sites in Minneapolis that they're, everybody's speculating. They're going to go in. They are right next door to each other, two cities right next door to each other. And in, in uh, Naperville and Schaumburg, where they open two like Chicago area stores, those two cities could not be more different. Like right. the demographic data for those cities are like all across the board. One's like so lower income. Because I think that, that this is because this is a sleeper and it's coming. A and sleeper. next thing we're gonna know, we're gonna we're wake up. Movies? What? Oh, I don't get it. What, 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 what we're gonna wake about? up and all of a sudden before anybody could realize it, there's going to be 4,000 Amazon grocery stores and everybody is not going to have like, they're just going to be the place to go because they have, they'll have the scale and they'll have better quality produce and they'll be the cheapest place and they'll have all these delivery options. And I think that the stories that we're going to talk about today are indicative of the changes that are about to happen here. And I think that it's going to like the future is just here. And like the Amazon Prime oh. cars, like they're just going back and forth. Like they might as well just have driverless p- cars already and just be going back and forth and doing deliveries. Uh, okay, somebody, somebody <sighs> I, I need a, a I need a in their coffee this morning. My <laughs> God, holy cow! I don't, I don't even know where to go with that. Yet, you know, I that, put that, half and half in the cream in my coffee. Right there is something. Next, you're going to tell me you're not, you, that somebody's lacing your shoes automatically. I don't know, Emma. Like. <laughs> What's your, I don't get why any of that's bad still, but Emma, what's, are you excited about this? I'm pumped. I, I can't wait for Amazon to come to grocery potentially in Minneapolis. I'm all over that. I'm 
Super excited. I definitely want to go and try it out. Based on what I read about the different sites that they're looking or where they're looking at, that's kind of far away from my apartment. So I'm a little bit mad about that, that I have to drive that far. But I mean, I can see the concern definitely for local grocers and whatnot, because I think Amazon, it's inevitable that Amazon Grocery is pretty much going to take over the country. Yeah. Oh, they're gonna, they're going to be in your apartment, Emma. Don't worry about it. They are they probably already be. there. You just got to look. building, Emma. I don't know if they're going to yeah. be in your apartment. but You never know, Chris. You never know. I'm all over this, man. I'm all over this, you two. Like I used to, I drove, I, prior to the pandemic, we drive out like 20, 30 minutes just to go to the high V and like get some Raising Cane's chicken for the family. Like shout out to Raising Cane's, huge fan. But like, yeah, I'm all over this. I'll be like first one in line checking this thing out. Like, and you are cracking me up with your tinfoil hat. So everyone listening, if you're not watching, you should picture Anne with, you know, aluminum foil wrapped around her head for the, for the remainder of this interview. But that gives you an idea. So that, yeah, that's the that was the big rumor this week in Minneapolis. But also right alongside that, Amazon actually is officially opening up their second store in Chicago this week, which Anne alluded to. Which again, just remember, just remind everyone: California, Illinois, Seattle's announced, New Jersey's announced. Now there's pretty sizable rumors that come into Minneapolis as well. God knows where this is going. So we've got a. You can imagine we've got a pretty packed show. We've got a lot to get to. There was no shortage of headlines. And to help us pick them this week, we even went live on Clubhouse and kind of went through the process by which we normally go through each week to pick them. We got a lot of help from a lot of people yesterday. So thanks for that. Hopefully everyone that was listening will like the final output today. But today we are going to talk about what is happening. And by that, I mean, we're not going to talk about Mark Laurie, even though I spent all weekend thinking about the probably 30 or 40 things I want to see in his new city of future, which wait for it, that will be coming your way soon, because I think it's going to be pretty funny. Going to put a top 10 list together on that one. And we're going to start with a little conversation around Instacart, talking about a new service model that they're debuting. We're going to talk about Godiva, like I mentioned, Centennial unveiling the next phase of their first ever, ever excuse me, digital shopping mall platform. And we're going to end this time with our put us on the spot question from AM on a topic that got quite heated on Clubhouse yesterday, and that is Nike and their new store in Oregon. But before we do those headlines, let's start in a place that I am proud to start and have never been probably more excited to make it our first headline of the week. And that is that Walgreens has named Starbucks COO and Amazon board member Roz Brewer as its new CEO. I love this move resolutely and going to you first. What's your take here? Yeah. I mean, I feel like in the past, you're uh, the hires you've been a little bit critical of, but this one is like far and away for very many reasons, uh, an amazing, an amazing hire. Now I was doing a little bit of background research on this. Emma, I have a question for you because I think Chris already knows this. Who do you think does more in revenue? Who is the bigger retailer here? Walgreens or Starbucks? Starbucks. I would have thought that too. However, yeah. I am about to blow your mind. Did you know that Walgreens is the fifth re- U.S. retailer? They rank fifth. By revenue, right? By revenue wow. in the U.S. Starbucks is 26th. Shocking oh. to me. Now, while... uh Uh, We looked at that, and I think this is an important point to call out. Chris and I were talking about this yesterday. It's not just a little bit. like It's significantly higher sales volume. So you look at Roz Brewer and what she has ahead of her. This is a huge jump. Uh, And Chris, 
I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this too, because I know you were super excited about it. I mean, obviously there's a lot going here. She's got a pretty great reputation as well and has done quite a bit in the past. I think that knowledge you just dropped is huge. Like I, I, I don't think people really realize that you think about like all the Starbucks locations that are out there. And I, I thought it was cool. You kind of threw it out there. See kind of like what Emma's kind of Gen Z opinion on it is too. Like it's not where your mind goes. Like we're so addicted to Starbucks and yeah, it's like a factor of four or five times. I think if I'm, you have, I don't know if you have the math in front of you, Emma, but I think it's like, a hundred plus billion versus like 25 ish billion in the U S or something like that. Something yeah. Crazy. The, the That's data was mixed. Ask. The data was mixed, but um, like in 2020, the revenue, the Starbucks revenue was 6.2 billion and Walgreens was 139 billion, which seems oh, yeah. in, super inflated. So sure. you go back to right. 19, I think it's more like the numbers that we were talking about, but right. Yes. But still it puts it in perspective. And I think, you know, the other thing about this, the reason I love this hire is look at the track record here. We talked about that with some of the Macy's hires. Look at the track record here. Brewer was at Sam's Club beforehand. I think she left like around 2017, went to Starbucks. All of, you know, much of that innovation work that we've talked about a lot for a lot of years was underway or began under her tenure. So yeah. she gets omni-channel thinking. Then she goes to Starbucks and we've called them many times. I can remember in my story of the future uh, is a big party keynote presentation. I singled them out as the best omni-channel retailer, bar none, going back to 2017, 2018, 19. And the reason for that is everything they've done with their app, the Starbucks pickup only stores. Look at how far ahead they were on that and the dynamics that go into that operationally. So you look at the challenges that like a company like Walgreens has in front of it. They're immense. Amazon's coming for that business. But you need somebody that has a track record of innovation and thinking about business models really differently. Business models that have traditionally been run the same way for a really long time, warehouse clubs, coffee shops, but put a unique twist on it. I, I honestly cannot think of a better hire in and across all the dimensions that this encompasses here, of course. But this just makes a ton of sense. So I, I am I'm pumped on it. So and and a business that's about to be challenged, I would say next by Amazon pretty significantly. You know, when you look at healthcare and the clinics and all the things that they're, the offerings that Amazon is diving into, I think she's going to have a big job ahead of her to really make them stack up against what Amazon could offer. Yeah, hundred percent. It sounds like she might've even had some visibility, you know, to, to at least the strategic thoughts that are, you know, being put around that too. So yeah, I think it seems like a smart move. All right, let's go to story number two, because th this story too, huge, I think, in the total landscape of everything going on this week. Walmart is ramping up automated fulfillment at their stores. So they are going to expand the use of automated systems to pick and pack shoppers online grocery orders. So according to CNBC, Walmart's going to try a few different configurations. So they haven't said which stores they're going to start to deploy this in, but they are working with every micro fulfillment startup under the sun to figure out how to execute on this. They're going to be turning, like I said, dozens of stores into fulfillment centers, some included in the existing footprint. And they are uh, working now to also allow pickup and delivery, which was something that I thought was really interesting. Same location pickup and delivery for customers and drivers of the uh, delivery drivers in the Walmart space. So whether you're from a third-party service or you are a customer, you're all going to be picking up your stuff at the same spot at Walmart. And it, say more about that. Is it, is it necessarily the same 
spot at a Walmart? Is it this, is it, could it be the same spot at a different location? I thought I read too, that some of these like potential micro fulfillment homes may, may actually be off site, like 20,000 square feet off yep. site. Is that, is yes. that how we're to read that too? And exactly, exactly. Okay. Yes. Which changes the dynamic a little bit, you know, like you see these, you see target getting into curbside pickup and yeah, it's like the customers coming through, but how does this all start to work again? As we're thinking about Amazon really going deep into grocery and expanding as quickly as I think that they're going to, you're going to start to see these one-stop shops starting to, you know, figure out how to get product to more people more quickly. Yeah, that well, that's really interesting too. In light of like what Instacart announced this week too, you know, I think they said they're gonna there's there's some job cuts, but the more important part of that story is they're going to this new thing with certain select customers called Partner Pick, which is yeah, they're not going to do the picking for the retailers; they're just going to go and pick up the goods. And so when you start thinking about the extrapolation of what you talked about, that starts to play into that too in terms of you know Walmart, other grocers going after fulfillment to increase pick and pack efficiency but then creating these systems for pickup and quick connection points for pickup, whether it's with Instacart or somebody else. And I'm curious, cause like this starts to get into some of the things that, that we talked, that I talked about in Forbes this week too, like the bulb is with the indeterminate S it doesn't necessarily mean store. It could just mean pick the stuff up in something or somewhere. Like, I'm curious, let's talk about, keep it in Walmart. Like if you could pick up your Sam's club order at a Walmart parking lot or a, let's say a, a separate standalone 20,000 square foot micro fulfillment warehouse. Would you do that as a consumer? Yeah. I mean, especially if it's, I'd go pick it up anywhere as long as it's not super far away or much farther away than the actual Sam's club itself. As long as it's convenient. Would you do that? And I'm sure you would, you hate standing in line in Costco. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is such a brilliant move. Like just figure out how to, how I can get, especially when you think about the repeat purchases, you know, we talked about this with Costco last week, how many times, I don't know if it's the same as a grocery store, but I think the grocery store data is like, you know, some over 75% of the time you're repeat buying the same things. Like I do not need to go to a store for that. And mm-hmm. sometimes if I run out, I want the option of, you know, being able to go pick it up when I want to, or having it delivered in that amount or of pay time. the delivery like, fee to have it too. Right. Exactly. Like that's the other, especially with like some of those heavy bulk items too, that you're getting at a great value. For now, sure. I think this, I, I think your points here, Anne, are dead on. Like, this is fascinating to me. Like, especially now, let's bring Walmart Plus into this, right? We haven't even talked about that yet. So now you got Walmart Plus sitting out there. We've postulated, and now I'm thinking that's even stronger. We've postulated that maybe Sam's Club's memberships become a part of that. Then you've got this like network of micro fulfillment hubs throughout the country that are easy for people to get to, you know. And suddenly, a Walmart Plus member might be the same thing as a Sam's Club member. And you can choose to interact with it in exactly the same way, you know, Emma's getting excited about and she's shaking her head right on camera right now. Is that, I mean, is that nuts, Emma? Or do you think that that makes a ton of sense? No, I think it makes total sense. Yeah, I think I'd be all over that. Like if there was a cost, if I could get the Costco club experience and it was like a quick drive from my house and instead of paying the Instacart fee, which I have to pay right now, I just go do that and they load it in the back of my truck. Sign me the hell up, right? Or Costco and Target in the same thing, like singles, like a bottle of ketchup and 20 rolls of toilet paper right. at the same price. Like you start to think you about the one stop, want, right? Yeah. The one stop yeah. shop evolves even basket. further. Exactly. Yeah. It's a mixed basket. I think that's huge. I mean, and here's the thing, this, the other thing about this is that this, here's the other thing, like from an investment perspective, technology perspective, the game is on on this now. 
holy crap, is there going to be a flood of money into, I think there's a lot of areas I see here. Like one, you're going to have a flood of area into all these technology companies, which a lot of people yesterday on the clubhouse call were poo-pooing like how many startups they're using. I think it's freaking smart because all of those operations are different. Co-locating in the store, standalone warehouse, wherever the hell you want to put this, like those are all different. Figure out what the right answer is. And the one thing we've learned, I think, in omni-channel conversation is there usually is no one size fits all answer. So I think you see a lot of investment there. You're going to have to upgrade the order management systems. We had a, we have a podcast coming to all these different nodes in the network. There's a lot more opportunities for fraud and like dishonesty. So you're going to have to build up all kinds of systems around that. This, this crap is coming. It's coming fast. All right, Emma, let's get to your favorite story. This one is sweet. Uh, this one's a big rip. I'm very sad about this story. but And hates you. this story. I can't wait. I'm going to get her yeah. fired up. I fight for chocolate-covered strawberries to the death. So <laughs> Godiva is closing or selling all 128 of its brick-and-mortar stores in North America. They're going to keep stores open across Europe, the Middle East, and greater China. But... I am just so sad about this. After working in the Mall of America for a while, you know, nothing is exciting anymore. But the Godiva store was. It was my favorite store to go to to get my chocolate covered strawberries. So I'm Why? just so sad. They're so good. They're like what the is it size about of strawberries. Why is everyone? They're like the about size of your fist. They're they huge. Big? Yes. They're, I don't know what kind of hormones are in them, but they're, like they're so good. They're so good and the chocolate is so good. And there's just something about the experience of like watching the chocolatiers in the back, putting the chocolate on the strawberries and everything. But so it's experiential big, too. Is that what it is? I know you hate that word, but like it okay. is kind of an experience to go in there and watch the okay. chocolate and like the dripping and everything. But my thing with this story is I find it, I think it's going to be really hard for Godiva to exist without these stores in the US. No one really goes to Godiva's website to purchase chocolate. And mm. if you, if you want your strawberries, like edible arrangements is the way to go there. They just have the like fulfillment across the country ready for them. Okay. But so I'm feeling. Stores impact the brand perception and recognition of Godiva, that Godiva wouldn't have that without their stores. That's your, that's your thesis. Yeah. That's it your like thesis. ups, it ups the, like, you can get a bag of individually wrapped Godiva chocolates at, you know, stop and shop pulling in my hometown there. But um, like, I think it does up the brand that you can get that more kind of luxury chocolate in person. So. Okay. All right. Interesting. I'm also like the fact that I'm now conceiving of like a chocolate covered strawberry as somebody that suffers from diverticulitis worst nightmare. Like, oh my God, that sounds like a horrible combination. But anyway, um, and I think this story is huge too. I'm with Emma. Like that's a ton of locations that you're just getting out of. Emma's saying it's going to be a huge hit to brand perception and reputation. What are you thinking? I mean, do we need to get Werther's Original as a sponsor? Diverticulitis, <laughs> Godiva closing. Jeez, you guys, what the hell? Uh, you know what? I'm not going out to a mall in a pandemic to get Godiva chocolate. Okay. Number one, this makes complete sense. Nobody. It's was, a pandemic I, story. I would, I would, I was looking actually to see if like Placer or somebody had data that would tell us how many people have actually set foot into a Godiva in the last year and a half. I'll even go back two years just to see like what foot traffic looked like, because let me tell you, this is no, this is like no surprise to me. I think that you don't have a brand that has much cachet anymore. Like Godiva to me, yes, it's a, it's maybe a good product, but there's no like uniqueness. I mean, are Gen Z's really being like, let me give you this box of Godiva chocolate? No, they're going to like these, 
you know, individual producers that they find on Instagram that are based in Brooklyn, New York. Like it's just, there's no cachet to the brand anymore. So the stores make no sense at all. I, I would even contest the experiential part of it because I don't think that the store, like every time I would go buy a Godiva store. And even when I worked in the malls a long time ago, it was rare that people were in there unless it was a holiday. I think if they're going to do a store, it's much more affordable. It makes much more sense to target this around key times of the year, like holidays, Valentine's day, whatever. hundred percent. I, I, I agree with you. And I think that's why this story, I know you hated the story and that I fought like hell to get this story in, but I think that's why the story matters is like, I disagree with Emma on this one. I agree with you. And I, I don't think the stores matter for the experience. And I think that's the, the message here to me and the aha for me overnight, as I was thinking about this story is experiential doesn't mean physical. Don't link those two things in your head necessarily. Let's go back to what we just talked about with Instacart and fulfillment. You know what I'd be doing if I was a CPG and I'm actually keynoting the national confections association meeting here in a few weeks. And I'm going to say this, I'd be investing like hell in Instacart and DoorDash and I'd be thinking about how do I just milk the e-commerce space to create that experiential feeling online that you're actually really going for. Cause you're agnostic. You don't care where people buy Godiva. It's everywhere. You, but you want people to know Godiva. You want their mouth to water about Godiva. And you can do that through all the things that are out there with e-com and exhaust that before you think you can just go up in stores where you got to move a ton of units to make those things work. And the pandemic makes that virtually impossible now. So I think that's the big takeaway. And brand CBGs particularly have to think about that. And the key there is divorce experience from physicality. Those aren't one in the same thing. And a lot of pundits need to start talking like that, in my opinion. All right. And let's do number four. Well, speaking of mall stores and divorcing uh, experience from physicality, Centennial has unveiled the next phase of their U.S. digital shopping platform. So we talked about this a few months ago, but Shop Now, the omni-channel shopping platform that came out in September, done by Adept Mind, who uh, Jesse Michael, we've had on the show, they have now launched for Centennial Malls with 100% participation from all the retailers in Centennial Malls, a single cart checkout for all of the mall stores. We're talking marketplace, mall stores. Huge. My mind was blown. I This was like, this has to be on there because this is something that everybody, mall owners, retailers, everyone needs to be paying attention to because it's going to change the way that things go. This is huge. I mean, I remember when 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 we heard that they were doing this, creating the digital mall, mall marketplace at Debt Mine and Centennial. We're like, this is the next limits test. Can they get universal checkout? And how many retailers can they get on board with this? And it sounds like they've got a high commitment from the retailers, and they think they've figured out how to do to, to, to do the universal cart process too. So huge, huge news. I hope everyone in the shopping mall industry is looking at this. More to come. It's still early, but but pretty, pretty darn impressive. And I think you're right. It starts to say, how do you create the experiential feeling of everything you get at a mall online for that local community? All right. Interested time. We're going to head to story number five. All right. And this is our put us on the spot question. So, and Emma, big story here. Nike this past week debuted another small format store. They're calling Nike Live in Oregon this week. The store, according to Retail Dive, is located in Nike's birthplace of Eugene, Oregon, and will, quote, reflect the retailer's history in Eugene through store design, end quote. And 
will also feature several digital and convenience-focused services, including BOPIS and curbside pickup. Again, that's a quote. The report also mentions that the retailer said over the summer, this is huge, that it plans to open up over 200 small format stores like Nike Live. So here's the put us on the spot question this week. And it comes in two parts, the first of which has multiple questions. First, is this really a different idea from Nike's other small format approaches that they've tried in the past, aka things like the running store in the Upper East Side of New York? Or are they just really marketing it differently around this community-focused halo? And how far can you really push these local ideas given that you have some pretty big global standards, especially when you start talking about store managers, having Instagram accounts, local advertising, et cetera, et cetera. What do you guys make of this? Emma, let's start with you. Yeah. I think I'm really excited for this store. I think we have to see what kind of merchandise assortment is in there before you can really kind of compare it to other Nike lives and what they'll do with other 200 locations that they're planning. But like, showing the history and it being in Oregon and they're even selling like university of Oregon merchandise, which is awesome because Nike has been support or sponsoring or whatever you do for collegiate um, athletic wear. So I don't really know in the long term, but I think, I think it's really cool. We'll have to see. You think there's something to this angle. And what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think number one, Nike's uniquely positioned as a brand to be able to execute on this. So not every brand is going to be able to do this, but I do think that Nike has the cachet that they can go into a community like this. They People are go, are flocking to the brand. They'll go to the Nike store in their community because it becomes, I think, more than just a store. Um, and, and like I said, the brand has the ability to bring in attractions that will get people in there. So for you, it's about the brand, the brand reach, what it means, what it could mean for the local community. I think you're right. You you need a special brand to be able to do that and to pull that off well. I, I actually think, I, I think the key thing here too that I would add is I think they also have the Omnichannel Foundation to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the question of like how, how decentralized does it get, I think is still important. I think you have to be thoughtful about that. But I don't think it's necessarily about decentralization in the way we're talking about. It. I think it's about the omnichannel foundations in the way we've been talking about it. Like, you know, having flexible inventory systems, having all of your touch points connected with the physical entity that has a store. You start thinking about, you know, the sneaker drops and all those things and how those are localized and personalized to you as an individual. But yet that's a pretty frictionless experience if you want to then go return that product in the store or talk to an associate about it in the store. Like, they've done a really good job of connecting that web. And so I think with that foundation in place, as long as the business model economics of the small store footprint can generate the revenue and the requirements for that given market, I agree with you guys. I think it makes 100% sense for Nike. And then to your point, and I think it keeps them in control of their brand with, with, and in this digital age, that control of the brand is such an important thing as you start thinking about how do you maintain all your wholesale partners? And I think it allows room for more experimentation too. Like should, I mean, in the, in the like random idea that Nike might get into like the fitness space or get into like any kind of external, like community building sort of things, like you can really start to test things when you're at that level. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. The smaller you are in a lot of ways, the easier it is to test. And yeah, that brings in the whole Peloton, Lululemon conversation again. And how do those territory, that's a great point. How do those territories start to kind of merge together with some of the conversations with that in past shows. And that gives you a chance to experiment with what the right answer is to that. Okay. The second part of the question, I think this is really cool to think about in juxtaposition to that conversation. 
compare and contrast everything we just talked about or compare and contrast, especially the Nike live concept store with the other announcement this week that Macy's says it plans to open a 22,000 square foot store format that they're calling wait for it. Loomies in Fairfax, Virginia, this coming fall, Emma, you're probably the biggest fashionista, fashionista of us all. How do you think about those two in concert next to each other? I don't even think they're worth comparing next to each other. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the only thing I'm excited about with the Bloomies is I think their choice of location is a good one. I've never been a big fan of like their Macy's own kind of work in Texas, but I think the Virginia one's actually a good place to try this out, but they're just not even comparable. Nike has so much brand power. Bloomingdale's, I didn't even know that was based in the U.S. I didn't like, so that's kind of my take on it. (laughs) (laughs) That Macy's was involved in that. That's funny. Uh, And what do you think? I think that the key thing that's missing here is you look at the market at Macy's concept, you look at Bloomies, like nothing's fundamentally changing about that store and how it's operating. It's still a department store with a smaller footprint and a smaller subset of product. Nike is actually deploying new technology. They're experimenting again with brand new types of of ways to do retail and make this a true experience or a destination for the customers. And again, it's it's tied to the brand and the the brand's ability to bring people in that Macy's and Bloomingdale's just, they're not going to have. So. Yeah. And, that, and that's what I wanted to ask you guys in relation to this question is like, this is where I start to wonder if this whole, like you want local fashion or things localized to the environment, like to, to, to the community, like how much is really there to that? So like you're taking Bloomingdale's, you're scaling it down the size of the box. You probably have some of the same products you're putting them in like probably more densely packed locations, right? Where there's more people around them, right? You try to get more people access to this versus having to go to a mall. Don't I already have that in like the local boutiques that are like already there? Like, why am I choosing Blooming? Why would I choose Bloomies quote unquote over that when they probably know me even better on all these things that we're hypothesizing, especially if you don't have any of these other like omnichannel components, like we were talking about with the Nike, like, what am I missing there? Because I don't, I don't get it for that reason. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that a big, a big tell for me too is that none of these new concepts or smaller format concepts are going in malls. They're all off mall properties, and I think what that means for what the future of the mall is going to be is scary. I and mean, that's scary too. That's a whole another conversation. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. There's no, there's really nothing differentiating these stores again from their predecessors and i would argue like are probably less convenient for people to shop than they were in the mall i mean now you have to you're in smaller areas you have to find parking like they're hard to get to like i I just it seems like more complications um but do you want upscale branded luxury like that you know like branded department store luxury like that that's the part i can't as a consumer do is that what people want like i don't I can't get my head around that. I'm a last word on this. What do you think? I, that's a good point. I think that that's actually really important because that's not where I'm going for my luxury stuff. And I think it's only those really loyal kind of department store people who are withering away that care about this. Right. Yeah. It doesn't make you feel as special as you or unique. If you're going to go to like the bloomies, you know, in (laughs) the cool part of town. Right. Like I actually feel like it kind of makes you feel the opposite way. It's kind of how I'm, I'm connoting that, but 
but who knows? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but, but Hey, let us know your thoughts. I, I know that topic is going to get a ton of conversation on social Nike, how it can, you know, how it all fits in the whole landscape of everything we've always been describing on this show. All right. Well, that wraps us up. Big happy birthday today to Sarah McLaughlin, the great Alan Alda of MASH, and oh, one of my all-time fa- favorites, Karen Lynn Gorney from Saturday Night Fever. Come on, Stephanie. I can walk you. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Omnitop. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you, all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And, of course, be careful out there. Omnitalk Fast Five is brought to you by the AM Consumer and Retail Group and Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com.